0: The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated at the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you servants, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns says, Rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, "Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Mike for seven please. evening of the summer term, the last in our series on the church. We've heard how much Jesus is committed to his church, his people, how close he is to his church, as close as the head to the body. We've uh, discovered how much he values the church, enough to die for it, how significant the church is to Jesus, his only agent in the world, how much power he has given to it as his army, and what his purposes are for the church, worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and witness. Well, tonight we're going to look at the last and most wonderful of the New Testament images of the church, which really sum up all of these aspects, and show us just how much, and in what kind of a way, Christ treasures us, his church. Because as well as being his people, his temple, his army, his family, and his body, we, the church, are also his bride. Just to get us into the mood, I'm going to ask James to play us a piece of music. It was sung by massed choirs and played on the great Westminster Abbey organ. I think you'll also hear some kettle drums and trumpets of the, uh, of the royal trumpeters in there somewhere, and uh, it was played for the procession of In law to be. Prince Charles uh, persuaded Kate that that would be a good piece of music to come up the aisle to. I think there was some excuse for that. It was written for that um, cathedral for the wedding of Edward VII, played at the weddings of King George and Elizabeth II, her, uh, her grandmother to be. But actually, even more important than any of that the music to which my bride came up the aisle from a glorious haze of late uh, November, uh, late evening sunshine. Uh, the wind was blowing and her veil was just a, a blaze of glory. And she processed up the aisle of Rochester Cathedral to find me at the end. Psalm 122. I was glad at when they said unto me, "We will go into the house of the Lord. Several points in the Old Testament, God speaks of Israel as His young wife, the wife of His youth. So it's not so far fetched to think that Psalm 122 might be speaking of that bridal procession of Israel into the house of her husband. certainly the New Testament takes up that image, Jesus does, and John in Revelation takes up the image of God's young wife, God's bride, the church, the new bride of Christ, the Son of God. And to think that Jesus is waiting for his bride, his church, with the same kind of longing, anticipation, excitement, and delight. I was waiting for my bride to process up the aisle to me, is, well, quite amazing. So what is it that Christ is looking for, is longing for, is looking forward to with such delight in his bride? Well, the Old Testament speaks of three aspects of this this marriage. the New Testament speaks of three. Firstly, as the bride of God, we have to be, we are called to be, we are vowing to be faithful. In the Old Testament, faithfulness is is primarily about um, accepting God for who God is. Sticking to the understanding of God that God has revealed it means not worshipping God as, as some other kind of a God, not treating God like a Baal or an Ashtoreth, not trying to manipulate God or placate him, not, not dealing with God only when it suits us or when there's something in it for us, not thinking of God in politically correct terms, but honouring God by letting him define his own character to us, by revealing his wife of God, we're also vowing to be pure. That means displaying the character and behaviour which is like our group. It means treating others as God treats us, honouring those who honour him and not those who dishonour him. Speaking words that we delight God, becoming more and more like. glorious white dress, which you saw there, which a bride wears as she processes up the nave and to the altar, Signific- signifies the purity of her life that she is bringing to her, groom, to her husband. You test. in the Old Testament, we are vowing to be committed to God, choosing him above all others, always giving to him our first loyalty, following where he leads, obeying his instructions. As Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. We must be single-minded in our commitment. In a context of violence, around that early church to which John was writing in the Revelation, in that context of suffering, the elders nonetheless choose, in our reading, to prostrate themselves before the throne of God, and to cry out to him, Hallelujah, Amen, praise our God, or you his servants." culture would like us to believe, we actually know instinctively that enduring relationship is based not on uh, lovely, mushy feelings, but on a relationship that is based on faithfulness. When someone is unfaithful, even in those same films and TV programs, we recognize the injured party seems to be well within their rights to resent such betrayal and move on someone else who will give them the kind of faithfulness they are longing for, that they need. So it's understandable that God who gives to us that kind of faithfulness should desire, indeed, demand. One, one. in which people are locked together in fear or duty. Faithfulness on both sides does give security but it doesn't necessarily also give lesser. So the New Testament adds in three more aspects of this wedding. So fourthly, we are vowing to love our of course, love means choosing to ignore our own needs and to bless the other person, to make any sacrifice that we can in order that we can bless them. We know that Jesus has ruled us with exactly that kind of self-sacrifice. But at whatever cost to himself, he has done what was necessary. set aside our own desires and to seek out his. One day, he will personally and so tenderly wipe every tear from our eyes. And in the meantime, he asks us to ignore the tears in our eyes, to take his handkerchief and to wipe away the tears We are also offering ourselves, in this marriage, in vulnerable intimacy. The consummation of marriage is not actually, finally, about pleasure. It's about a naked vulnerability, one with another, that bringing who we actually are to the other person and entrusting ourselves at our deepest level to them and finding with them, and they shall be It's not actually a vow, but it's a fruit. It's the sweet, succulent cherry of love, which is put gently into our mouths by our wedding partner. When we commit ourselves in faithful honor, in purity of life, in simpleness of commitment, in sacrificial love and vulnerable intimacy, we find the other has committed himself to us in just the same way, we will find ravishing our senses and melting our Think of that moment of bursting senses. When you will enter the presence of your Lord and beloved, your Bride. The New Testament image of the church as the Bride of Christ is not just a mushy sentimental picture. after that wonderful, glorious wedding day. It's the rest of life. It's a searing, challenging, demanding, glorious call to offer to the the Lord the same honor, purity, commitment, sacrifice, intimacy, and joy which he offers to us. We are invited to offer ourselves holy, Receive him, in return. If we are ready for such self-offering, then how blessed will we be to be invited to the wedding day of the self-sacrificing Son of God, not as a guest. Just imagine how amazing it would have been to have been invited to Prince William and Kate Middleton's wedding as a guest. Well, you have been invited to a far more glorious wedding, not as a guest. once sang in another anthem in a choir long ago, and which I would love to have sung at my wedding if you're ever involved in that. The last words of this anthem, of this quotation from Pilgrim's Progress, make the hairs on the back of my neck stand on end as I think of the wonderful, glorious, joyful homecoming. After this, it was noised abroad, but Mr. Valiant for Truth was taken with a summons by the same post as the other. And had this for a token that the summons was true, that his picture was broken at the fountain. When he understood it, he called for his friends and told them of it. Then said he, I am going to my father's. Though with great difficulty I have got here yet now I do not repent me of all the trouble I have been at to arrive where I am. My sword I give to him that shall succeed me in my pilgrimage. My courage and skill to him that can get it. My marks and scars I carry with me to be a witness for me that I have fought his battles That he must go hence and has come. Then he accompanied him to the riverside, into which, as he went, he said, Death, where is thy sting? And as he went down deeper, he said, Grave. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. The wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride.